Hello everyone, welcome to Talk Anything. This is Mr. John and today I want to talk about universal basic income. Now universal basic income has been a pet topic of mine for a while and I have a lot to say on it. This will probably not be the only video on it. But also given that this is my very first monologue where I'm talking directly to you rather than to someone else. I'll probably be making a lot of errors, rookie mistakes. Oh well, I've already made those in my previous videos I've done, but still gonna keep making more. You'll probably see some jump cuts and craziness and woo-hoo. Bear with me. Um, when it comes to universal basic income, UBI for short, uh, there's a lot of political this and that going on. Most people talk about it in terms of the humanitarian and welfare aspects of it. I agree with that. I'll talk about those at some point probably as well. But for now, I want to talk about an aspect that is rarely talked about. And that is the economic um, place for universal basic income and how actually it can be a very, very good economic policy to actually stabilize and improve the economy. All philanthropic uh, reasons aside, this is actually really intelligent. And let's get started on this. Um, first off, before I can even talk about universal basic income and how it affects the economy, I really want to make sure that whoever's listening has an understanding of the basics of what an economy is, what it's um, founded on, how it works. Now, you can skip this part, sure. Um, a lot of you probably already know these things, but without seeing them in context, seeing the rest of the arguments in context, they might not make so much sense. So I would recommend if you've got the time, go ahead and listen to this part as well. Also, before I continue with exploring what an economy is, I want to ask you this question and have you thinking on it throughout the video. What is the purpose of an economy? What does it actually achieve? What's the goal of having an economy? So whatever it is, why is it a good thing? Um, that's a very, very important question to ask because if it's a good thing for a certain reason, then you should not accept any policies that undermine that reason. Uh, it's, it's just like um, raising your kids to be well-behaved kids. That's a good goal to have. Well-behaved kids, great. What's the goal of having well-behaved kids? The goal is to make good adults who can be productive and who can be members of society and who don't end up in jail, things like that. So, what if we wanted the best behaved kids ever? Well, I've got it. You duct tape them to a chair, you cut their vocal cords so they can't scream, you leave them there and you force feed them until they're adults, and congratulations, you have the best behaved kids in the history of the world. And you just completely ruined your goal. Same thing with the economy the goal isn't strengthening the economy. The goal is 
whatever the economy is supposed to do and provide, and then strengthen the economy in such a way that it improves its outcome towards that goal. I'm not going to tell you what my version of that goal is yet. Maybe at some point I will. But for now, I want you to think of your own reason for that. And that reason can change, especially as I kind of go through and discuss what an economy is. You might have some different ideas. That's fair too. So now, with all that prelude out of the way, let's get started with what is an economy? That's a long question. In fact, though, it's actually really short. It's just bartering. Um, that's the easiest answer. Goodbye. Oh, hey, okay, okay. I'll give you some more answer. Um, economy is somebody has something that another person values. And this other person has something that this person values. And so they come together and say, hey, I want the thing you have. And I want the thing you have. There you go. They trade. That's economy. Um, that's really, really simple and basic. If you've got one person has a food, they're a farmer, and then you have another person who's a builder and can make a house. The farmer wants a house. The builder wants food. They trade. Really straightforward. But what if the farmer already has a house? Um, what if the farmer wants clothes instead of a house? And the builder still needs food. They can't make clothes. They don't know how. So instead, the builder can say, hey, you know what? You don't need a house, but someone does. So what about the tailor? The person who makes clothes, I think they need a house. So I'll trade them a house for the clothes, and then I'll trade you for the clothes for the food. Okay, great trade, but it's getting a little bit more complicated here. Then it can keep getting more complicated. What if the builder has small things that he wants to purchase. He can't build a whole house for a spoon or a bowl or for one set of clothes or a chair. Um, so he'd have to divide his work up somehow. They have to have some way to exchange what they want for what someone else wants or what they provide for what somebody wants. So easy system for that, money. Now money is a lot like an IOU. It, let's say, kind of go back to the builder and um, he could go to this farmer person and say, hey, you don't need a house, but someone does want a house. How about I write out you a ticket for you? A little token that says, hey, I owe you. This is a house. You give this token to anybody and I'll build them a house you can go buy your things directly from them and they'll come and get a house from me. And I'll honor that token. Sweet, great. Um, if you want to divide it, you could say, I owe you one-tenth of a house. And I'll write out 10 of those and there's one house. And you can distribute those. And if someone brings 10 of them back to me, I'll give them a whole house. Um, and then the farmer makes their own IOUs. I owe you one bushel of corn. Boom. Taylor, I owe you one set of clothes gets really complicated really fast. So what do you do? You get money. Um, historically, money is based off of something that had some value that people liked it. Um, common things were shells or pretty rocks or um, even cocoa beans from what I understand. Um, but gold. Gold is the one that I'm going to 
be talking about because that was kind of the Western thing. Gold. It's pretty rare, pretty hard to find. Um, doesn't really go bad, so you can't fake it. It's pretty immune to faking. Um, everyone, or a lot of people want it specifically. They can make jewelry and stuff out of it, so it had some value, so it was a good natural starting ground. Um, but now you can say, hey, what if we just use this as a replacement for those IOUs, as tokens that we all agree on. This is a universal IOU. So the builder can say, my house is worth 500 gold tokens, coins, nuggets, whatever you want, 500 gold tokens. And then the farmer can say, oh, a bushel of corn is worth one or two gold tokens. Um, so if the builder comes up to the farmer and says, hey, I want some food, here's here's two gold tokens and the farmer will say okay here's some food and then the farmer can take those gold tokens to whoever and say hey token um you can trade these to the builder and he'll give you a house if you have enough of them and so the tailor or whatever will say okay sure i'll take tokens for the clothes and you know it can keep cycling great money's good we figured it out lovely here's the thing um, there's a difference between microeconomics and macroeconomics. So microeconomics is this idea of you have your tokens, you have your gold, you have your money. Um, it comes in from the work you provide that other people pay you for, the value that you offer that other people pay for. And then you spend it on things. So you have your money comes in, money goes out. That's a micro economy. If you're out of money, your micro economy sucks. If you have lots of money, then great, wonderful. You can have thousands of gold coins stored up in your basement and you've got the best micro economy ever. You can buy anything you want whenever you want. Macro economy is different. Macro means the whole economic system altogether. So macro means that the uh, builder who is paying you is part of the system. You who's paying a tailor or someone else, you're part of the system. The tailor's part of the system. All of you are. So what's happening is the money's not leaving the system. It's just going around in circles. The builder pays you, the farmer, the farmer pays the tailor, the tailor pays the furniture maker who pays the builder and it kind of keeps cycling around in circles. That's how an economy works with money, is that it keeps cycling and flowing and moving. Doesn't disappear. Except in the situation where someone does store thousands of gold coins in their basement. What do you do then? So let's say the farmer makes enough food to feed everyone. So everyone's paying the farmer coin after coin after coin. And the farmer's just like, yay, I've got shelter i've got food i'm good i don't need anything i'm going to take all these gold coins and keep taking them and keep taking them and putting them in my basement i'm just going to have a basement full of gold and now all that gold is not in the economy anymore the farmer isn't buying anything from the tailor so the tailor doesn't have gold from the farmer but the tailor still has to pay the farmer 
for the food. You see where this is getting is that this is when the market flow, the flow of money stops or at least gets slowed down tremendously. So for a macro economy, for that to still work, for money to keep working, you need people to spend. Oddly enough, you need that flow to keep going by spending things. Now, how do we do that? Um, well, there's a very easy way. You convince the, the farmer to spend their money. Well, how do you do that? Well, you look at what the farmer has and say, oh, maybe that farmer has a chair. It's a nice chair. It works. But a smart entrepreneur can say, you know what? I'm going to go build a new chair. And I'm going to build a really nice, comfortable, fancy chair with carvings and spend hundreds of hours on this. I'm going to make it the best chair you can find. And so this person makes this really fancy chair and goes to the farmer and says, hey, farmer, look at this. The farmer says, whoa, dang, that chair's better than my chair. I never had a chair that's that good. Um, well, I got all this money in my basement. It doesn't do me any good. It's just piled up there. It's worthless to me. But that chair, that will make my life more comfortable. Okay, I'll buy it from you. I already have a chair, but it doesn't matter. I'll buy that chair. Um, so the money starts flowing again. That's how you get the money to start going more luxuries. Sure, everyone needs housing. They need food. They need water. Um, they need clothing of some sort. They need ways to sustain their life. And you can go up in levels of need. If you've ever heard of the Maslow hierarchy of needs, that's probably a good place to look for figuring out, hey, here's the baseline needs kind of kind of needs versus wants and kind of going up till the peak of where you have everything you want. Um, slight modification there in an economic term, but you get the idea. So for the economy to work, for money to work, you need people who create luxuries because once that person sells the chair to the rich farmer, now that person has money and that person can go spend money to the tailor and the builder and all those other people and you can keep the money flowing and you can keep the economy going and you can keep everyone having money in their hands which they can spend on food or goods or whatever they need as you keep going as society keeps progressing you get more technology which means you with technology you can produce more with less effort a farmer back in the day could barely make enough to feed themselves so almost everyone had to spend most of their time farming. There wasn't much time for many luxuries. You just farmed, you came home, you were tired, you maybe worked a little bit on sewing some clothing or building a chair, you know, whatever. That was just the little bit of extra, like maybe the 5 10% of extra work we had to put towards other things. As technology grows, a farmer can feed 100 people. So now one farmer can provide all the food for 100 people. So those people have that necessity, that need met. So 100 people don't need to work for food now. They can put that work towards other things. So once you improve technology, you improve the total capacity to create things. But to keep that flow going, to keep money and economy working, 
you need to keep creating things that people want. Money is an exchange for things that people value. You have to get something from that you value from someone in exchange for something they value. So you keep making things better and nicer and fancier and more luxurious so that there's more value being added to these people. So technology leads to an increase in luxuries available because more and more people can spend their time creating luxuries to enter that economic chain and provide people something of value that they want so that they can participate. Okay, so what if somebody wants to eat? That's all they want. They don't want luxuries. They don't care if they have anything luxurious. They just want to eat. They'll sit and they'll live inside of a cave. They're fine with that. They'll wear leaves instead of tailored clothes. They're, they're all right. They just want food. They're not going to get it. Not unless you provide something to the farmers that they want. So you have to enter into the luxury trade market. You have to find something luxurious that the farmer wants. Now this works pretty well. And as you can see in our modern times, specifically in the US where, where I live, um, we have a lot of luxuries. This right here is an example of it. I have headphones on. Well, that's a nice luxury. Nobody needs headphones to survive. Um, but somebody's whole job is to make these headphones because it would get someone like me to buy them. So they're offering something of value. Now, I could have that person making food being another farmer, but I already have food. There's already enough farmers to give me all the food I need. I don't need another farmer. Um, but I did want some headphones. So that person makes headphones. In fact, there's someone who probably designed just this one little cord that's attached to my headphones. That's your whole job is this now this little cord. You're making that for your living. Now, that's cool. It leads to a whole bunch of products. You look around whatever room you are in and you will find hundreds of different specialties, different jobs that people have had, different jobs that provide luxuries things as basic as this right here is not real wood that is painted somebody designed that pattern and had to paint it and had to make a machine that paints it things like that those are people's jobs is these very diverse very specialized luxuries okay well that's great we've got a society with a bunch of luxuries i have no issue with that Except, there's a problem. What about when what people want, what they value changes? Take, for instance, saddles. Once upon a time, almost everyone had or wanted to have a horse. So saddle makers everywhere. Great. Everyone wants saddles. Everyone values them, except now we have cars. Dang it. We don't want saddles anymore. So everyone who is a saddle maker go out of business. They can't make saddles anymore. That doesn't offer value because you can work all you want and not provide any value. And this is a very key thing about the economy and about money. Money doesn't represent work. 
money represents value. I can work for a thousand hours on this perfectly sculpted painting made with poop. My fecal painting. And I could go around trying to sell it to people and they will say, this painting literally stinks, not paying you a dime for it. If I make a chair that is wobbly and no good, nobody values it, they won't buy it. If I make a chair that is really nice and comfortable to sit in, people still might not value it because either A, they have chairs, B, someone else can make a better chair, or C, someone else can make a chair for cheaper. Okay, so now we've got saddle makers who can't provide anything that people value. No one's valuing saddles anymore. So what do they do? Well, they have to change industries. They have to find a new way to enter the economy. They have to find something that people value that they can produce. That might be going to a factory to make cars. That might be um, changing their career to, well, honestly, any number of things. Here's where we get into a problem though. That transition period is potentially really risky. So we've seen this in our history in economics, recessions and in worst case depressions where one segment, one market segment gets hit really, really hard. And people are suddenly gone. They're not buying that segment anymore. They're not investing in it. And now everyone who was in that segment providing that service, that good, now they can't. So they're unemployed. Okay, fine. That's just one little section of the economy, except for this. Now those people are unemployed and they don't have money to buy luxuries. Heck, they don't have money to buy necessities. They can't even buy food. So the money that they would spend on, say, something like a car, they can't do anymore. They can't buy a car. So now the car makers can't sell cars because those people aren't valuing them enough. They're not spending money on it. So the car makers can't sell cars. So they can't work. So they go unemployed. So now the car makers aren't going to buy cars, but they're also not going to buy food. They're not going to buy new houses. They're not going to remodel things. They're not going to buy fancy headphones. And with their fancy little cords dangling from them, they're not going to buy all that stuff because they can't. Now their ability to produce cars is still the same. Same with the people before their ability to produce whatever it was that got disrupted is still the same. We still have the same production capacity. Our nation is still just as powerful. Our economy can provide everything except it can't because the flow of money has stopped. That's the key. Economy is about the money flowing because otherwise people aren't trading and getting things of value from other people who are providing things of value. So this spirals, this spirals down and down and down into a recession or a depression and it takes time for it to build back up. So say the say let's go back to saddle makers. Those saddle makers can find new jobs, they can find new things that we value, but it takes time. You have to look around, you have to look for jobs, you have to look for things that people are asking for or paying for. You need to find a way to trade. Now, historically we've made it through this. We've had some really rough patches that 
probably, well, I can get into that later, but probably weren't necessary. And now we get into the even more modern era where our technology becomes even greater and our reliance on individual tiny little speck of industries becomes even higher and industries live and die all the time. And what's more is that we have robotics and machinery that takes the place of the very easy jobs, the quick to learn jobs. So factory worker, you, you can learn that in a few days, a few weeks, you just learn the routine, you do your thing, get used to it and you, you're good. You can get that job and you can work that job and you can add value so you can get money so that you can get things that you want that are of value. But in a higher tech society, you have those factory jobs being replaced by robots. Oh man, the robots are taking over. Ah, that's ruining everything. We need to stop the robots, right? Stop the robots and we still have jobs. That's really dumb. That's really, really dumb. Those robots are making things for you that you don't have to pay someone for. A robot is a rock. It's a fancy rock that someone has to sculpt and design, sure, but that robot is now making society more productive. Our capacity to produce things has just skyrocketed because of those robots. The only problem is you're not part of it. Our economy has gone up tremendously more powerful and you're gone. You're not in the economy anymore. You don't get the money because the guy who owns the robots gets the money. Okay, well, sure. Then let's say you get a new job. Well, you can't get an easy job. All the robots did that. You can't dig a quick one, so you can't just jump right back into the economy. I guess it's time to learn a really high-tech and advanced job. You can make robots or repair them. Yeah, that's a good job. Yeah. That's going to take some time. It takes a lot of time to learn these high-tech jobs and a lot of time a lot of money and a lot of capital and a lot of change to your life in a period where you are not adding anything of value to the economy you are just trying to take things of value to keep you alive long enough for you to add back into the economy you see where this becomes a problem getting back into the economy is getting harder and harder to do now, there are other barriers to getting into the economy as well. So remember, if you're outside of the economy, if you're outside of this cycle of money, you starve. Unless you are a farmer. But then if you're a farmer, you don't get a house. Or you don't get clean water. Or you don't get etc. etc. Basically, you need to be inside the cycle of the economy. You need money. Now is where I get to universal basic income. Because universal basic income says that everyone, no matter their class, no matter their status, no matter their participation in the economy, actually is going to be participating in the economy. They will have money to spend. Keeps the economy flowing. Okay, well, that money has to come from somewhere, right? Where does it come from? Just a second, wait a second. This isn't a microeconomy, this is a macroeconomy. Since it's a macroeconomy, that means money isn't really created or made. You know, you can print new money or whatever, that's a whole different story. But as a whole, money just goes around in circles. It's like blood, it just 
circles. It picks up one thing, moves it to another spot, and then keeps moving and moving and cycling. What universal basic income does is it doesn't cost money. It doesn't take money out of the system. It will potentially take money out of individuals. So it will affect micro economies. So if someone has to pay taxes towards supporting a universal basic income, then their micro economy is a little bit less strong. They have less money in their pocket because they had to pay for universal basic income. But the macro economy doesn't cost anything. What it does do though, is it rebalances the economy to a different level. What do I mean by that? Remember when I was talking about luxuries and the only way to participate in an economy was by providing luxuries? That the only way to get food was to create luxuries? Well, this rebalances that. Now you're going to have enough coming in from a universal basic income that you can get food. No matter what, it doesn't matter if you're making luxury or not, you've got food. So that means that everybody is going to have enough money for food, which means that there's going to be a slightly increased need for farmers. Now, you know, most people currently get food here, there's, though there is a lot of food insecurity, even in the US, look it up. So more people will be eating. That means that more people will notice that food is valued, valued with money and more people will be producing food and distributing it. So store owners and such. So necessities, the bare necessities that now since everyone has universal basic income, no matter their level of participation, everyone is going to be buying necessities. Now, since universal basic income is likely going to cost in some form of taxes, that means that those people who are footing the bill from their microeconomies, who they have slightly weaker microeconomies, which means that they will purchase slightly fewer luxury goods. So the very high end, the most, um, the most luxurious goods, there's going to be a lower demand for those. The people who value pay for high end luxuries are going to do so less often. So the people who produce those luxury high-end items are going to sell slightly fewer high-end luxury items. So fewer people are going to start looking for that as a place to access the economy, as a place to work. They're going to shift a little bit. So the universal basic income shifts just a little bit of the production from the high-end luxury good market and puts that a little bit more to the necessities market. That means in the macro economy, it doesn't actually cost money. It just shifts where the money goes. Now, a very key part of this is now recessions. Remember how I was talking about how one market being disrupted could cause a recession in worst cases, a depression because of the cycle of unemployment and the cycle of people not being able to enter back into the economy and the economy stops flowing. Universal basic income supports that. 
because now everyone who's lost their job still has enough money at least to afford necessities. That means that even in a really terrible economic situation, the farmers don't go out of business. The people who make necessities don't go out of business and everyone still is tapping into that production. Everyone still is able to pay for those necessities. So remember in a recession and a depression, the capacity of the, of the country to produce the goods is not reduced. We still can produce just as much. But in a recession, we don't because people can't access those goods, so people won't pay for them, so we can't make them to sell them. With universal basic income, all of the necessities, everyone always is paying for all the necessities, whether there's a recession or not. So even if the economy takes a major dive in a recession, you don't lose the foundation, the groundwork. So the recession comes down this far and then stops. And then it can, eventually it'll go back up again. Instead of the recession going all the way down here before it can go back up. The recession will cover faster because people have a better starting ground. Um, and it doesn't get as bad because that whole segment of the economy is now stabilized. Everyone's going to be buying those things no matter what. Remember when I talked about unemployment? And the time it takes to be able to get a new position in a high technology world to become a robot technician, a programmer, or a, a mechanical engineer, all of those take a lot of time, a lot of investment, a lot of effort to enter into the market through one of those areas. Universal basic income helps that. So now people who have lost their position are actually have something to fall back on. They can survive long enough to seek that higher education. Instead of seeking a less valued position where they can barely provide they can barely provide enough value to get things of value that they want. Now they're going to be able to work towards a higher value producing career and then they'll be able to produce more value into society and then they'll be able to pay for more things that they value. So economy gets a boost. Education gets a boost. Humanitarian things, this is not just about that. This is not just about valuing human life. We should. It is my firm belief that this is worth doing just for the mere value of human life only. But we don't value that. Not At least a lot of us don't. Um, but cut that out. Cut out the value of human life. And look at the economic value that this offers. The economic value of making a stable market where there's going to be certain key industries that will never be threatened by a recession you've got a pretty interesting prospect. You just take a little bit off the top of the luxury market, put it into the uh, necessities market, and now you have a more stable economy. And you do that through universal basic income. Seems straight, pretty straightforward. 
sure you've got a lot of questions. I'm sure you have objections. Feel free to comment below. This isn't actually a YouTube algorithm thing. This is, I'm too small for a YouTube algorithm. This is just genuinely, I like questions. I like answering questions and I like especially learning from people asking me questions or challenging my ideas. If my ideas are wrong and someone points it out, then now I'm right because I now have learned from them that I was wrong. And now I take their position and now I'm right again. Best way to become right, be wrong. Anyways, I have a lot more to say in universal basic income, but this is just a start. Anyways, bye now.